Welcome, Fedos. Lovely to have you on. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, just to kind of start off by saying that Fedos is somebody I really look up to. He was my EOA coach, he, just you know, accelerator. And when I joined EO London, before I could join EO London, uh, Fedos very kindly offered his time to help us out and coached us through this journey and then helped us get up to a million plus in revenue. And today, I'm so thrilled to have Fedos on uh, to, to, so he can share his journey with us. Fedos, I think the best way to start is to introduce yourself. Fedos, tell us who you are, what you do, a little bit about yourself, would be great. Thank you. Okay, uh, that's a very, very sweet introduction, Raj. Um, so, look, I guess I start with work. Uh, started off as a management consultant, I grew up in India, uh, then we moved to the UK. Started off as a strategic consultant, uh, working for a management consultancy called Accenture. Worked with them for a few years whilst in parallel having multiple side gigs, uh, residential and commercial property. But then fell into a business um, which I still run uh, with my now business partner, um, which is around interiors and furniture and construction. Uh, I'm, an, uh, I'm an, an active angel investor, so mainly uh, very early stage, high risk, uh, mainly tech companies, but also some some other stuff as well. Uh, very active in, in EO uh, and have been for some time in YPO and uh, I'm a keen scuba diver. Uh, love spending time with the family, uh, love uh, fiddling around with uh, crypto, AI, biohacking, anything that's going to lose money uh, rapidly. Um, and um, yeah, it's just a pleasure to be here. Uh, that's awesome. And obviously you talked about your experience in doing these different ventures. I mean, how do you define the venture investing or just engineering investing, uh, entrepreneurship. What's your definition of it, and why 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 do you enjoy that so much? My definition of it is um, a mixture of um, well, okay. A number of years ago, I started. Uh, I, I read a book called Goodbye Things. And what goodbye thing? I've always been I've always been um, happy happy with risk, quite com comfortable with all sorts of risk, right? Whether it's physical risk, scuba diving, skydiving, or it's financial risk. I, I think you have to be comfortable with financial risk, otherwise you would never start a business or, or be a, an investor or entrepreneur. But a number of years ago, I read this book called Goodbye Things, and it basically uh, introduced me formally to the concept of minimalism. And actually, growing up in India, we were already minimalist because we weren't allowed to buy anything or spend anything. The the, the automatic, can I have a, and before you finish this, no, was, right? So you were naturally born into the concept of minimalist um, living. So, um, but that concept really, uh, it really grew on me and I really embraced it. And I realized that certain aspects of my life that I was uncomfortable with were to do with material things. and by Having this badge or this, you know, this way of life to be able to say, well, I don't have stuff because I'm a minimalist, right? I don't need to want stuff. It, it was a strange discovery that I don't have to have the latest phone and I don't have to be in that race, right? Because I didn't want to be in that race, but I felt I had to be in the race. But now I had a, a religion or something that I could hold on to and say, well, I'm a minimalist. So that's why I don't feel 
uh, the, the, the urge to spend a thousand pounds on a phone that does exactly the same thing as the phone that I have in my pocket, which I spent a thousand pounds on a few you know, couple of years ago. So, so that, that whole thing that was happening um, meant that I was not a slave to money. And sometimes people don't like to talk about money. Money, unfortunately, is uh, an integral part of pretty much everything that we do, especially in business uh, and, and the world. It's, it's integrated into everything. And so bit by bit by bit, by not wanting money and not being a slave to money and not wanting things, it just meant that my appetite for risk kept going up and up and up. Uh, because I was like, well, if I lose the money, it's not like I was saving up for something. And so the risk profile de developed around that. And then I was like, OK, well, I'm doing property and that's fine. And it's relatively slow and relatively safe and extremely boring. Uh, and I wanted more risk and to do more interesting things. And um, I started meeting different founders uh, who were incredibly bright. I love technology. And so I was attracted to founders who were on cutting edge of different technology, or if not cutting edge of different technology, at least the utilization of very interesting technology into cutting edge concepts. And meeting these founders I was really energizing because by that time I was doing property, I was doing furniture, and both were steady, but, but not exciting and not boring, uh, and, and a little bit boring. And so I started meeting these founders and getting to know them and then started placing bets basically with these different types of startups in concepts that I enjoyed, founders that I believed in, um, spreadsheets and projections that were totally made up and unrealistic. Uh, that, took me a, that took me a while to understand that. Um, and, and that's how it's gone. And we've had some, you know, uh, I, I co-invest with different people that I know, uh, my co-investors. Um, not always, but very often. And we've had some really, really good successes. And we've had, you know, a fair share of failures. But so far, touched wood, uh, you know, we're still we're still up and, and alive and fighting, uh, you know, uh, looking for other investments uh, moving forward. Um, so that's kind of, I don't know if that exactly answers the question. You, you have, you have. And I, I think one thing I picked from that was obviously that you're a minimalist, that, you know, you enjoy to really make sure that you enjoy the, the things in life which don't have to be money centric, which is, which is great. Do you believe that entrepreneurs need to have a similar mindset that they need to be minimalist as such? Or is that a, an optional thing, for example? And if, if not that, then what else might be required in the entrepreneurial mindset to succeed in this journey? Um, I, I certainly don't think you have to be, so minimalism doesn't mean that you don't like money. I like money very much. I like money. I like making money. I like having money. Um, I like the uh, the fact that money is a, a scoreboard, right? Like it tells me, like the things that I'm doing ultimately um, need to make me feel good, but there has to be an external reality to them. You know, so like meditation makes me feel good, but it doesn't earn me any money, uh, and I need money to, you know, not necessarily buy things, but have experiences. So. Uh, the minimalist living means uh, I will think literally five times before I buy something, you know, even like 20 pounds, uh, Nutribullet, which is one of my best purchases of last year. Um, and I, I looked at it and it's like on special offer, I think it's like 29.99. I looked at it and I was like, am I going to use it? Right. And then I left it next week. 
am I going to use it? And I looked at it three or four times before I said, I'm going to buy it because I'm going to use it. And I convinced myself that I was going to use it. I use it every single day. And it's, I get so much joy from it because I didn't just buy it. I really, really thought about it. Um, so you need money for some things. You need money for experiences. In terms of mindset and entrepreneurial mindset, I think there's so many ways to get to, you know, an end destination. For me, um, I would, uh, and I've talked about this many, many times before, I would, uh, I would say that a big part of my success is, and we've talked about it many times, is the morning routine right it's the, the meditation it's the um eating in a sensible way but then for me not beating myself up if i decide to have a packet of crisps or you know something so being kind to myself as well not just being overly harsh to myself um meditation the morning routine it's the exercise looking after the physical form and all of it together so that has led me to a mindset of gratitude continued gratitude like no matter what happens i've had so many things that most people will never have uh, in terms of experiences in terms of friendships relationships uh healthy children you know, all that stuff so reminding myself like gratitude isn't a one-time thing it's like constantly having it there and the only way to do that for me is to have these moments, the, the morning routine, the gratitude uh, in the evening, to have to create time slots for it so that um, it can happen. Otherwise, it won't happen. So the mindset, I think, is of gratitude. You know, people talk about resilience and people talk about never give up and always get up and, 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 and those characteristics, which I think are necessary anyway. But I think before that, um, you need to look after yourself and you need to be ready for whatever comes. And then when you get knocked down, if you're physically fit, if you're mentally fit, um, then you have the the chance of getting back up and then having those other characteristics that we hear about a lot in terms of, you know, what entrepreneurs should have. Interesting. I, and I hear what you're saying. I, I, I love what you're talking about, sort of being kind to yourself, gratitude, the morning routine. One thing you also said which is very interesting is that money is more of a scoreboard for you and is to maybe purchase or have experiences. Uh, obviously, last time when we, we met, we were in Cape Town, South Africa, and we were experiencing, experiencing you know, a, a conference, for example, and then everything else which happens before and after. When you talk about minimalism and you talk about sort of experiences which you can purchase, do you also put a price or do you also think twice about experiences you, you, you go through? Or is that, well, doesn't matter what cost because it's an experience for me? Or, or it's just physical items that you're buying, which you are... The physical items are the ones that I will consider a lot, right, before I purchase. Um, uh, and I, I don't want to sound like a, an extremist. I mean, you know, if I, if I need to buy something, I mean, I'll buy it. It's not... Yeah. You know, but I... I will. I, I buy physical things that I need rather than physical things that I want. Because if I just rely on want, there's so many nice things that are made. You know, we're constantly bombarded through social media, and through, so I try to just, you know. And I guess it's the same with experiences. Um, but with experiences, uh, I'm probably less uh, rigid. With experiences, I'm probably more flexible because I know that that thing is going to be with me forever. Whereas the the jacket the expensive jacket that i might buy i'm probably not going to wear it every single day and it's probably not going to last me forever but 
um, maybe some mountain biking trip that we take or some uh, like you talked about Cape Town, you know, going cage diving with sharks in Cape Town. I mean, that's going to be with me. I'm going to take that with me to my deathbed. Right. So I, I think it, I think it's relative. There are some experiences that I might spend on, uh, especially things relating to the kids uh, that I might think that was a rip off. You know, like, did we really need to spend that money? But, you, you, you know, you've got to kind of roll with it uh sometimes so flexibility and like i said kindness like if i spend something that i thought i shouldn't have spent on i'm not gonna beat myself up and and the money aspect of it is not just the scoreboard the scoreboard aspect of it is important but you need money to live i mean i need you know money for my car and my house and my food and so it's not like um i'm just not scared to talk about it the way i used to be scared because money money can be a dirty word and i don't think it needs to be a dirty word as long as you're frank about it and you know and you also um, do something with it positive like we do a lot of charity work um, as through, through through our main companies through as a family uh, my parents are heavily involved in charity as well separate charitable organizations my wife as well supports uh, Yuva Unstoppable which is our main main charity that we support which is an amazing charity that helps underprivileged kids in India so I think it's balance you know uh, yes you need money you just don't need a lot I need money I just don't need loads and loads of stuff I, I think I think you know that that's what fascinates me about about you is that you know you have a very clear sort of vision for what you want to be and you follow that path as you go through. The one thing I remember as well, which I thought was very impressive, as, as somebody who was in entering that EO world, was your appetite for diversification. Like I remember, I I once came to your storeroom uh, in, in FCI London. Yeah. Uh, and and then when I, when we met, you mentioned about your catering company and your investing. I mean, the first question I want to ask you is, how do you have the time to do all these different things? Uh, that's one. And I mean, when you talk about different businesses, you know, not only you investing in in technology backed companies, but also, for example, in you know hardware like furniture, for example, catering. How do you go about this, and how do you Sort of, what, how do you apply that in, in your business uh, into diversification, your mindset, for example, as well? Um, so, in terms of um, the different businesses, so for example, the banqueting, the banqueting venue, uh, and the banqueting business was just a natural progression from a commercial property um, that my business partner and I owned. We we needed to uh, do something with the space. Uh, we saw an opportunity. We saw an opportunity in the market. Um, literally minimal research. I think we decided to to make it a banqueting venue. Uh, like over, I, in fact, I remember we were having a jacket potato in Asda in Collindale, and we were like, "What are we going to do with this space?" And um, and then I think it was my business partner said, "Oh, you know, every like wedding you go to, like." they're so expensive and the venues are so expensive and there's no parking and this and that why don't we make it a wedding venue and a banqueting venue and we kind of went okay and then we so it wasn't as scientific as i would like to pretend uh and, and but the, the reason it's successful is the people that we have running it so the person who runs that venue is incredibly dedicated uh completely trustworthy incredibly smart and and street smart you know uh, and incredibly good with people like he's his name's Rafan, incredibly good with people 
um, and, and just, you know, has done an amazing job. Um, so that's just one example in terms of um, furniture. Again, um, you know, uh, myself and my business partner are less hands-on day-to-day. We have an amazing uh, management team, leadership team who, who are running the business because they're passionate, they are um, knowledgeable, and they're committed. Um, and again, they care about the bit that they're doing. They don't care about all the bits, but they care about the bits that they're focused on. Uh, they care enough about the other bits to keep it rolling, but they, you know, they like they all have their own bits that they love, and and then they just do them really well. Um, in terms of the angel investments, I mean, not all founders are created equal, right? So sometimes make investments and. The founders make a mistake, the founders break up, the founders, yeah, there's all sorts of things that happen. And sometimes the founders are just, you know, not great founders. And and so then you, you know, you lose all your money and then you move on to the next one. That, I mean, obviously that the whole idea of investing and, and since since we last spoke, I've been investing some cash as well. And it's it's such a nerve-wracking experience, but equally a really fun one. And must say it's like we're supposed to ride I put the, some money in, would I, would I get it back? Let's see returns on it. It's always it's a bit nerve wracking, but uh, I do agree. I also see that obviously when you are looking to invest cash into businesses, you're happy to diversify quite a bit. So for example, I, I know tech and I will only do tech and marketing, whereas you're all, all across the, the different industries. Is this something within you which you have have learned over the years, which has made you do that, or is something which comes natural to you, or is it sports, for example, as well? Um, I think so. The bit I invest because I want to return on my money, so that's you know the first thing, right? Uh, but then I'm investing because I'm really interested in that project because I'm learning something, and when one has or when I have skin in the game, my appetite to learn is far greater. Then it's also to do with the partners and it's to do with the founders. So I have two partners, uh, a very close friend, Vish, my, my, my younger brother, Faraz, and they, they co-invest, we co-invest together on a number of deals. And they will bring things to the table where they have a passion or they have an experience, which I trust and I rely on. And so these different types of deals come in. My brother has a, a growing, very successful um digital brands uh business which is in the food space he's always been a foodie knows that space very well so hence we you know we've got a number of food related and plant-based food related uh investments um Vish knows technology and there's a, a number of other sectors so uh also uh, a super accomplished founder uh he's founded until which recently you've heard of Stephen Bartlett he's a massive entrepreneur he's coming in as an investor into that business so different different kind of inputs um and it keeps it interesting from my point of view because naturally the most natural thing which i started looking at at the beginning the most natural thing for me would have been to just go into furniture or property investment the things that i know quite well but actually the whole you know it would have just been boring because you know um i want that variety and then what i learned from these other entrepreneurs and these other founders and these other businesses and the technologies that are there we then pick out and then try and implement them in some of our own businesses so um it came about um very organically um and probably not the most 
sophisticated way of doing it. I mean, there's people who say, well, you should just get to know one sector and know it well and just do that. And they're probably right, but that hasn't been my path. Understood. Understood. And what's a typical check size? What, what kind of checks do you usually write when you, do, when you work with stuff? Yeah, so it depends. Um, anything from 20 up to 200 on the first go. Um, and then it depends on what's happening in the company, what other investors come in, traction, um, and a variety of things, you know, uh, like that. But usually it's, uh, it, it, it's not for me. I don't design it with, um, I'm going to be in every single round. For me, it's like seed and then maybe one more round. And then if it's carrying on and the business is great and you've got then venture, venture capitalists coming in, then I'm like, okay, this could be really good, but I'll stick with my, you know, stick with my bet and now let somebody else carry carry the flag. Understood. And it does it does sound a little bit like some of these are angel investments, but other others are more like a private equity PE style where you sort of invest in a say for the, the, the banqueting hall. Sounds more like you sort of invest in it, bring your management team in, looking to grow the business. Do you do both PE and angel investment style um, or is it more just angel no, investment? It's it's it's, it's, a, it's angel. It's angel. The the banqueting venue um was just um it was it was a property deal, right? So we we owned the commercial property. We were using the downstairs as a furniture and interiors showroom. Uh, the space was available upstairs. And so it was just a business. We set up a business. I wouldn't necessarily call it PE uh, because PE is usually where you come into an existing business and um, help the management team or help the owners grow the business beyond where it is. Whereas we were the founders of, of that business. And then we put in a management team to uh, look after it for us. So understood. Very small business. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very small business. But it no. sounds very exciting, though. Very exciting. Obviously, in this journey of yours where you have investing in, in, in different companies, starting your own businesses, where do you see this going in terms of the next 10 years, for example, or maybe 20 years? Where do you want to go with this? Uh, is it more sort of like have a portfolio than be a VC, for example? Are you looking to I don't know, raise more funds and start investing as a, as a, as a full-time? Uh, gig, where do you see yourself? Where does Pedro see himself? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so I think that right now, um, it's about so SCI that you mentioned that you've been to, um, is being taken over by the leadership team, uh, that we have. So it's just a question of making sure that that's all in place correctly and that all aspects of the day-to-day -day running and operations and growth strategy are taken over by that leadership team. So I think there's still a little bit of work to do uh, on that. Um, and then after that, I think that there's growth in the Middle East. I think that there's huge potential, um, mainly in Saudi Arabia. I think it's a very exciting, um, kind of like wild, wild west scenario. Uh, I definitely have a lot of interest in AI. I have a lot of interest in property. Um, so I think possibly that might be uh, a direction to explore. But for right now, I want to try to do what most entrepreneurs don't do very well, which is just focus on one thing uh, and not be distracted by, by shiny objects. But ultimately, um, I mean, ultimately, I think I want to be uh, definitely working in health and wellness, being involved in that uh, in a formal way rather than just from a personal point of view. 
Um, I love biohacking and I love the idea of learning more uh, around the human body, around wellness, around mental health, you know, like that whole package and really um, learning much more about that kind of stuff. And then to be able to do it through the vehicle of adventure uh, rather than just on a personal basis could be really interesting down the road. We'll see. Just interesting. Well, interesting. I, I must say Saudi Arabia tends to be something I hear now almost once every day, like someone or the other either coming to, to us with a uh, opportunity to work with them, for example, there's investments going on there. Um, so I mean, it seems really hot. I mean, if, what do you think is, is going on there? I mean, obviously we know there's a lot of money being pumped in, for example, there's a whole new mindset in Saudi Arabia. What do you think is, what was your perspective on Saudi Arabia and where do you see Saudi Arabia going in the next few years? Um, I think that, I think that, I've got to be really careful. I think that um, there is a certain brutal honesty in uh, kingdoms and dictatorships, okay? And it's, we are the rulers, you are the people, whatever we say, you have to do, this is our plan. If you don't like it, leave. Like that, that's my basic summation. Now, there are a lot of things behind closed doors um, that people could talk about and point fingers. But when I look at the US, for example, and the UK and the hypocrisy of the government and, and how, you know, how the, the, there's this very close connection between democracy, politics and, um, and, and, and capitalism. Uh, I just, I just, you know, I don't see explosive growth for the country or the people. I see great capital accumulation for the the uh, those in power, right? Um, so, how do I feel about Saudi Arabia? I think there's a lot of potential. I think it's a young population, growing population. I think there's a desire to place itself on the world stage. I think there's some cash flow there that can help do that. I think they love technology. Uh, I think they are collaborating now in a way in that region that's not happened before. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, I mean, you know, as I said, I love technology and they really want to be at the cutting edge of all things technology. They want to be at the cutting edge of uh, hospitality, entertainment, um, and just, you know, it, it aligns with um, a high risk high reward kind of environment which is which is something that i'm definitely attracted to interesting uh, and i i think there's there's you know obviously sounds like saudi arabia has got a lot going on there a lot of investments being pumped in but one thing you mentioned in your previous sort of uh point was that about sort of shiny objects and you mentioned like you know you get distracted really easily by shiny objects and obviously you're a mentor you you, you do mentor a lot of people from eo and, and beyond um how do you, what do you tell entrepreneurs when they come to you for advising, you know, when it's possible to stay focused, especially when, when it comes to sort of like, you know, in technology, we have these like shiny objects like crypto. When crypto came in, you know, there's a whole barrage of people who kind of got into crypto. Then now the buzzword is AI, people go to AI. How do we stay on our course and how do we sort of, stay from distractions and how do we know this is distraction or this is the the mainstay for example of business in the future 
Yeah, man, that's an impossible question to answer. I, I think it's so subjective, right? Uh, I think it depends on where you are in your journey, what your business is, what stage it's at, what the what the parameters for success or failure are based on your inputs and your focus. Um, if you're at a stage in your business where um, everything goes through you, which is um, most people until they get to a point where they've got a leadership train, you know, who, who take takes over and they've got that structure. Um, when you're running a, you know, uh, a half a million to 10 million business, you're involved in a lot of stuff. And if you then decide to go off and try different things, if a business is super healthy um, and doesn't need your eyes on it, it could be really essential that you go and explore other things. You know, um, I am looking at AI right now, um, but with a very clear uh, focus on how it's going to increase productivity in our business, how it's going to improve the um, the employee journey, how it's going to make it easier for them. Looking at it completely from the team, you know, looking inwards and go, how's it going to make your life easier and better? I'll get to the customer later, but right now I want to use it for the the internal team. Um, uh, when I spent time on crypto to three, you know, between three and two years ago, that was definitely a waste of my time, uh, a waste of my attention. I was trying and spending a lot of time understanding these concepts and understanding how the miners worked and understanding how the hashing worked and like really getting technical because I decided that was the only way to really understand the industry, to really know it. As and as a non-developer, you're a developer, but for me as a non-developer, to get into that nitty gritty took a hundred times more time than for somebody like you. And ultimately that time was uh, siphoned away from my core business and my core team and it didn't feed back into it, right? Somehow, if it had fed back into the business, it would have been beneficial, uh, but it didn't. So that's something that I would say is a chunk of time. I don't know how many hours or days or months went into that, but that was definitely a shiny object at the wrong time for me. Um, would I say the same thing about AI now? Absolutely not. The business has matured. The team is at a different place. My, I have a very clear join the dots of why I'm doing it and how it's going to benefit the business. So I think it's very subjective. Understood. And 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 do you feel like going forward from what you say is that a big part of delegation and elevation of the teams is that important part for you going forward so you can have some more time for yourself to invest in things like AI? And if so, what is the methodology you use to to do that? For example, in our company, we use EOS. EOS is what we use. And actually, I've delegated most of the stuff to my team. I'm pretty much not involved in Google anymore, so I can do some awesome yeah. podcasting and learn from people like yourself. So what was that you use within your yeah, organization traction, to yourself? Traction, EOS. Scaling up is there in the background. I think scaling up is overly complicated. I shouldn't say that, given that uh, Vern Harnish, our you know, fearless leader who started EO. Uh, but yeah, yeah, exactly, EOS, right? It's a great um, system of uh, checks and balances and tools. Um, but then I, I think also, I mean, there's so much to it. I think you you got to find the right people. You've got to be lucky enough to find the right people and, and the right chemistry. Um, 
I don't have a playbook for, for, for finding the right people, to be honest with you. Uh, really, I just got really lucky. I have been lucky again and again and again. But in terms of how to start handing over and organizing the business, yes, 100%, I would, I would uh, champion that. It's funny you mentioned that, you know, you don't have a playbook to finding people. In fact, I remember you talking to us about like how you have this uh, a process to hire people. And in fact, I use that now in our business. Would you be open to sharing that with, with the audience? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I think that was more for uh, kind of salespeople. But I mean, we, 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 we use it across the board. I wouldn't necessarily use that for a leadership team. Um, but but that process of having a, a pre-recorded message talking about our core values, I, I now do that in person, by the way, um, uh, because I have more time. So now, uh, I mean, do you want me to tell you how I do it now or how we did it before? Or Either one would be great, but just, uh, yeah, just don't mind sharing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how, how we did it before was um, there was just a recording of me talking about uh, our core values and all the reasons why you shouldn't join us. So all the things that uh, were difficult about the company and challenging about the company and our core values. And then um, a description about the job and what it entailed and, and what you could expect day to day and, and, and the fact that no two days are the same. And, you know, so very as honest as possible, almost to the point where I'm saying don't join, right? Like that was the type of video that it was. Uh, and we invited people uh, through LinkedIn and through wherever to submit their CVs. We would put the CV, they would get an automated message um, to say, thank you for applying. Here's a link uh, to the aptitude test. So they would go to the aptitude test, they'd fill out the aptitude test. Uh, and then people who would get above a certain score on, on there were a number of um, aptitudes. Some aptitudes didn't matter to us so much. So we didn't care if you had a lower score. Uh, but some were very, very important to us. And based on that, you would then get this video of me talking about core values and and, and all the rest of it. Um, and then for people who wanted to continue, there was like a, a button or an email address or something that they would then fill out and then send uh, a, a covering letter explaining why they, they wanted to work for us. So it was like kind of pretty automated, uh, which meant that rather than reading hundreds, so we wouldn't read any of the CDs up until this point. Uh, mm -hmm. Only when we got to the that that final bit where they'd done the covering, then we would read the covering letter, understand what they were saying, and then go and, and, and open the CV. And it really massively cut down on our on our time because we found that loads of people would drop off, uh, you know, at each stage. Uh, many many people wouldn't even bother to do the aptitude test. We're like, well, there's no point us spending 20 minutes reading your CV if you're not going to do the aptitude test. So that worked. Um, now. Um, the process is actually handled by the leadership team, but I just do a, a group call uh, talking about our values, talking about a little bit of the, the history of the business, how we got here, um, talking about all the things that have been difficult in the business, how the business has evolved, and just kind of like um, really sharing as much as possible the personality of the business. And that's with me and, you know, it might be a group of eight or nine people who are applying for the for the role. And they get, they get to ask me questions about anything, literally anything, anything to do, 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 anything about me, anything about the business, anything about the cash flow, anything about the biggest challenges we have right now, the biggest challenges we had last week, uh, last month, you know, uh, and I answer completely honestly. And, uh, and that polarizes people. So some people think, 
absolutely not never would never work for you and then others people think you know come back and say i can't imagine working for anybody else and that's 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 the whole point of that thing to really polarize people and then those people who want to continue then they go through a, a process which the leadership team runs but it gives them a good really good understanding of the personality of the company uh, and what we're trying to achieve by having that very open and some, sometimes people ask some really deeply personal questions and because of my experience with eo and my experience with forum and being able to tap into the top five and the bottom five right that 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 ability when somebody asks me something deeply personal most of the time i can access it and be uh transparent and and, and honest about it which I think helps. Well, thank you for sharing that for us. And since you talked about EO, I think let's just sort of sort of end this this lovely conversation with EO, which stands for Entrepreneurs Organization. Question I have for you on that is, how has EO impacted your life? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, we don't have enough time uh, for, for 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 me to describe all the different aspects of it. Um, I think that. It's um, forum obviously has uh, obviously for people who don't know forum, it's impossible to understand what forum is. It's it's just impossible until you do it. But that close connection that I have with other human beings and the feeling of acceptance after sharing the worst of me, which is what I share, the worst aspects of my personality, the worst aspects of my behavior, the worst aspects of my even thoughts, you know, come out in forum. Uh, and the best. And after sharing all of that, to have a non-judgmental group of people who have not run away from me uh, has been great uh, in terms of character building and all the other stuff that comes out of forum, you know, all the great actual um, experience shares, which lead to better decisions and and, and uh, the 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 idea that you become the average of the five people that you spend most time with so that multiplied you know whether it's sitting on the board whether it's acting as a mentor whether it's in forum as a forum buddy uh whether it's acting as moderator uh forum chair or all the different roles that i i do in eo both in the uk and globally i'm surrounded by these other lunatics who are just full of energy and just want to do stuff and make the world a better place in whatever small way or big way. Some of them are like, you know, so as you know, some of the EA members are doing like groundbreaking, crazy stuff uh, in the world to make the world a better place. So to surround yourself uh, or, or me surrounding myself with those people just bit by bit by bit by bit has made me um, happier, more content, um, more confident to be myself like i am a nerdy sci-fi geek that's me and you know running a high-end european designer furniture and interiors brand you can't really be that you've got to be somebody else right you can't be like some spotty nerdy i love star wars because you're selling like you know so so it's allowed me definitely to tap into that and be be myself um and just give me lots of you know, lots of skills in terms of how to look after people, think about people, deal with people, talk to people, um, which is which is the critical thing that I've, I've had. I a million other things, but yeah, I mean, I would not be as content and as calm as I am. My life would, I don't believe, would be anywhere near as 
uh, uh, great um, if I hadn't joined the year, for sure. Well, Fedoz, all I can say to you is I, I, I can't agree more with you. You has been an awesome thing, but I must say to this conversation is to catch up with you, feel like the old days, and it's so good to talk to you again. Thank you very much for your time today, Fedoz, and I can't wait to, to, to meet you again and see you in person again. And uh, I just want to say thank you on behalf of myself and everybody else.